Pianist Michelle Kahn made her orchestral debut at the age of 14 and has since performed as a soloist with numerous ensembles, including both the Philadelphia and the Cleveland orchestras. A champion of the music of Florence Price, Michelle Kahn performed the New York City premiere of the composer's concerto in one movement with the Dream Unfinished Orchestra in July 2016 and the Philadelphia premiere with the Philadelphia Orchestra in February 2021. She has also performed Price's works for solo piano and chamber ensemble for the Cincinnati Symphony Orchestra, the Chamber Music Society of Detroit, and the New World Symphony, amongst other presenters. Michelle Kahn regularly appears in recital and as a chamber musician throughout the United States, the United Kingdom, China, and South Korea. Notable venues include the National Center for the Performing Arts in Beijing, the John F. Kennedy Center for the Performing Arts in Washington, D.C., and the Barbican in London. And on Sunday, November the 7th, we have the opportunity to enjoy the exquisite musicianship of Michelle Kahn in our area, when she will be performing at the Wise Center for the Performing Arts on the campus of Bucknell University in Lewisburg. Michelle regularly performs duo recitals with her sister, pianist Kimberly. Michelle and Kimberly Can have been making music together since they were in elementary school in Florida. Both grew up playing multiple instruments, such as steel drums, bassoon, violin, trombone and tuba, although the piano was their first love. I had the opportunity to speak by phone recently with Michelle Can and asked her about her musical childhood. When you see two siblings that have pursued music professionally, it's definitely a good assumption that someone else, parent or otherwise, <laughs> had a love or a connection to music. And in this case, it was my father. He is a music teacher. Really, he's been a music educator his whole life. His primary instrument was really percussion, and he played with various orchestras, especially in his beginning years as a percussionist. But he really loves teaching. So he has taught K-12 through education, band, choir. He had steel drum bands, which was very unique. And all of this throughout his career. Um, he will be retiring soon, actually. So growing up in that environment, my siblings and I were expected to learn an instrument, or really many instruments, <laughs> and uh, be serious about it. You know, I think my mother, who loved music as well, although she didn't pursue it as her career, she's a beautiful voice and, you know, actually learned some instruments that uh, on the direction of my father. And they both just had the same philosophy, really, quite honestly, in life, that if you were going to do something, you're going to do it well. And so from a young age, we were disciplined to practice, you know, and that's, of course, the, one of the biggest parts about it is the commitment to put in the work. But my older sister and I really, you know, found a love for it. As much as we all had to learn an instrument, it was very clear that Kimberly, my older sister, and I really excelled and enjoyed the piano. 
yes, I played other instruments. I did mention that I played uh, the violin, the trombone in band, uh, eventually the tuba, and the steel drums, which was so much fun. You know, so I really had a colorful childhood musically. But you know, piano was always the the biggest focus, and there was a certain point in high school, and I knew I really wanted to try to take this all the way and go to music school, and I did. I think maybe that's the trick, that you were exposed to a lot of different instruments. It can be beneficial to expose your child in the beginning stages to different ways of making music. I do think that ultimately you want to put your primary focus in one place, just because sometimes if you're trying to be a jack of all trades, you're kind of a jack of nothing, right? To some extent. That at a certain point, right, we have to, we only have so much time in the day to focus, so make sure that we figure it out eventually. Where do we want to put the most focus? But in those beginning years, and, you know, when a child is curious and excited, I think that's the best time to expose them to various outlets and and different musical uh, expressions, and they will experiment. And very often you will see where they seem to gravitate. You specialize in championing the music of Florence Price. Can you talk about Florence Price, who she was, and perhaps how you came across her and why Florence Price? Yes, absolutely. I came across the name Florence Price in 2016. I was asked to solo with an orchestra in New York City called the Dream Unfinished Symphony. And it was a special concert. It was a concert that focused on female composers, female black composers, and the hope was to have female black performers to play and and, and be featured in in this music. So they were really seeking out the focus and, and wanted to celebrate it. So I was called and they mentioned Florence Price, this black composer from the early 1900s who wrote this concerto that had been lost for a long time and, you know, will you play it? And I remember that I had a little bit of apprehension at first because I thought, well, if it's been lost for this long, it must not be any good or it might not be, you know. (laughs) And I uh, didn't say yes right away. I remember just wanting to see the music. Well, It only took reading through the score, the piano score, to call back enthusiastically and say, no, I really want to do this. Because I just remember reading through the whole piece, and I was in awe. My jaw dropped. I couldn't believe how great this piece was, the potential that was there. And I just kept asking myself, why don't I know who Florence Price is? Why don't I know this piece? That was the beginning of my journey. Uh, That first performance was a wonderful success. And for me, the success wasn't just all of, you know, at all. It wasn't all about me. It was the fact that the audience received this composition so enthusiastically. They really loved it. They fell in love with her piece, which means that they fell in love with her. And I felt that it was such a tragedy that I had never heard her name. And I went through all these music degrees and never was I introduced to her. I didn't know all of the wonderful piano solo music 
she had written as well. And I thought, if I don't even know who she is and I went to music school, then how many more people have no idea? And they're missing out on this really wonderful music. So I just saw the mission in, in my mind as twofold. You know, this is to right or wrong in a certain way where for decades after her death, you hardly heard mention of her. That needed to be fixed. People needed to know who she was. But also I saw it as just the importance of the inspiration for future generations, that when you share music written by, you know, a female black composer that is so powerful, when I can play this music and really promote who she is through my fingers, this can be inspiring to other young women or other, not just black women, but just black musicians that are young and coming up and looking for role models that look like them as well, you know? And that's so important as well in the classical music field. I think it serves so many purposes that are important. So it's just really been, you know, a calling for me. I mean, I feel like it had to be. I feel like as soon as I found this, there was no way that I could promote it. And it's been a joy because I keep discovering, and, and let me clarify, there were uh, a number of pieces that were published in her time. She definitely had some, you know, success in her time, and I'll, and I'll talk about her in a moment. But it was really the fact that because she wasn't put to the public eye, given the opportunity to have her music tour the Americas, because of this, when she died, a lot of who she was was lost. And it's just so important now that we share her story. Speaking of who she is and was, Florence Price was born in 1887 in Little Rock, Arkansas. She was born from an actually pretty well-to-do, somewhat affluent family at the time. This was a very, I would say, the sweet spot in the history of the black American experience, one of them. And in this case, this was a point where there were black professionals and black families able to own property and to thrive, you know, in, 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 even in the South. And she was a prodigy. She was a child prodigy. She had taken piano and organ lessons. Her father was a dentist. Her mother was also a pianist. And she went on to the New England Conservatory in Boston, one of the best music schools in, in the world, really, and got a degree in piano composition and organ. After graduating, and she came back to Little Rock. Now, at this point, we're heading into the 1920s or getting close to that point. Unfortunately, this is already when the situation is shifting in America and the Jim Crow laws and segregation and different things are starting to make an appearance. So she came back from a city where she had grown up and been able to thrive to come back to a place where the Music Teachers Association in the town wouldn't let her join because she was black. So she already sees changes. But she was always a trailblazer. She started her own music teachers organization in Little Rock for black teachers. But she soon realized she wasn't going to excel in the South and headed to Chicago, where many, many great black musicians and artists went. This was a period in which you could really share and support each other in cities like Chicago and New York and, and New York City and such. So when she got there, uh, she soon entered a competition 
called the Wanamaker Music Competition with a symphony, her first symphony she'd ever written, and her her piano sonata. She won top prizes in both categories. And the biggest result of these prizes was that the Chicago Symphony Orchestra, one of the best, premiered her first symphony. She was there to watch this. And this was a huge accomplishment to have a piece premiered and performed by the Chicago Symphony or any, any of the big orchestras. One would think that that would then put her on the national or maybe even international map and her career would continue to excel and grow. But unfortunately, this was not the case. Now, you have to understand, during this time, the Chicago Symphony, around the time that she was there, had only men in the orchestra. There was only men. You didn't see a woman in there. So Florence Price had two things kind of working against her. First, that she was a woman trying to be a composer, of all things, in the classical music world. Secondly, she was black. So if you could get past the first hurdle, what about your race? You know, she really struggled because people couldn't look past this. And the sad part is, why? When we think about this now, why did it have to matter then? Why should it matter now? Music should be the one area of all the areas that we deal with in society that we can't seem to look past race or gender or what have you. Music should be an area where this just should not even exist as an identifier. Music is so universal. It is that universal language. It is the connector that I can go all the way to a country where I can't understand a word that anyone is saying. But if I sit there and play the piano and play some beautiful classical music, we can communicate. We now can share something. And I think the beauty of that is it's just really sad how it worked against her. Her music spoke to the American experience. It spoke to the American experience, the black American experience, and even to the romantic classical experience, because her music also has very, very strong ties to the romantic period. You hear Tchaikovsky and Brahms and Dvorak and big Rachmaninoff, big names. You hear the influence and how much she loved that music in her writing. So why, right? Why couldn't they look past it? But anyway, that's what happened. And that's why now it's so important that we fix that. It doesn't matter what she looked like, what her gender was, how old she was. None of this matters. Do you love the music? And if you do, that's what matters. (laughs) I think that's a very important point, but it's a very frustrating one. She isn't the only artist by any means that we do this to. We talk about somebody's work in, in terms of who they are, that she was a woman, that she was black. We have to walk through that door before we even begin to talk about her artistry. When really with any composer who was male or male and white, we would be talking about their artistry first. Absolutely. Especially when you see the people that she associated with. When you, when I read about her and read that she associated with Langston Hughes and Marian Anderson and you're thinking she should be a name that I've heard of. Exactly. I remember being aware of the really famous concert Marian Anderson did uh, outside of the Lincoln Memorial uh, that Eleanor Roosevelt set up, right? And this was huge. I mean, most people are aware of this concert. And Marian Anderson actually ended the program 
with an arrangement of a spiritual by Florence Price. She really believed in Florence Price and really promoted her as much as she could, which does make a difference. It did make a difference. Therefore, maybe this is the biggest tragedy of all, that there were these big names, the Chicago Symphony, Marian Anderson, Langston Hughes, as you mentioned, and many others, that knew of her and actually tried to promote her. So maybe the biggest tragedy of all is the fact that even with their efforts, she couldn't seem to get any traction. You know, it's one thing if no one <laughs> knows you when you were alive, uh, no one promoted you, uh, no one believed in you at all, you know, even your, your own race, let's say, and no one believed in you. And then we look back years later and say, well, that's, you know, that's a tragedy. They, she should have been listened to. And you, of course, you can say that. But maybe one could say, well, no one really believed in, you know, this composer during their time. They didn't think they were good. You know, no one thought she But this wasn't the case. Many who knew her and heard her music couldn't help but admit that it was great. But she still never got this national and international traction. So that's the part that bothers me even more, is that there were many during her lifetime that would agree, whether men, white, black, or woman, or whoever, they would agree that her music was really powerful and said something. But she still didn't get anywhere because they couldn't look past the racism and the promotion of her beyond, you know, what was there, even though the music was great. So I think that, for me, that is even more powerful a connection. You know, Marian Anderson really promoted who she was, and I feel that same calling in terms of having a platform, being able to go and perform her music, the honor of playing it with Philadelphia Orchestra and Cleveland Orchestra, her concerto. She's never had her concerto played with either of these orchestras, and they were around during her lifetime, and she's never, ever had her piano concerto perform with them. The honor that I feel to be able to then play her piece with these orchestras the opportunity she did not get but deserved, that's huge for me. I'm grateful for that. But I do realize that, again, it's not like I'm trying to promote her because I feel sorry for her or, you know, let's just pat her on the back just because. No, it's because everyone knew that she was great. People knew she was great then. They just didn't care enough to push her forward more. And so now we can take what was great, what is great, and actually push it forward. <laughs> well, the same thing won't happen to Michelle Kahn. You are already making a name for yourself. You're already lauded, and I'm sure that will continue and only grow. And you are coming to the Wise Center for the Performing Arts very shortly. What do you have planned for us at the Wise Center? Well, there's a variety of great pieces on the program. Speaking of Florence Price, we'll be able to hear her piano sonata and her fantasy, number one. And these are great pieces. The piano sonata kind of gives you, especially in the first movement, the sense of the connection to the romanticism and romantic period and the structure that you would expect in a piano sonata of classical origin, but she explores already so many different folk idioms, and you hear references of spirituals in the second movement and in many different dance styles in the third movement. And in the fantasy, which fits the definition of a fantasy, which is very free form, she actually takes a well-known spiritual, and she 
essentially kind of does a variation set on the spiritual throughout the fantasy. The unique part is that a lot of her piano music, she does not take a well-known spiritual and, and sort of arrange this. She makes an original song of sorts. So in other words, there's no words to it or anything. It just reminds you of spirituals that you've heard. But in this fantasy, she takes one that is known. That's really actually very special, and I, I'm looking forward to showing you those two sides of her. There's also, you're going to hear a little bit of Brahms on the program, and Brahms is also a composer I really love, and I feel that there's a certain connection that Florence Price loved him as well. Just the depth of his music and how it reaches your soul, and I feel that Florence Price reaches your soul as well. There's a, there's a deep love of song in these composers, and you'll hear one of his ballads that I will play. Um, and some other gems, I don't want to reveal everything right now, but I can tell you it's a nice variety of music on the program, and I, I, I do really hope you come and experience that with me. Michelle Kahn, who spoke to me by phone recently. Michelle Kahn will be performing at the Wise Center for the Performing Arts on the grounds of Bucknell University in Lewisburg on Sunday, November the 7th. The performance will begin at 4 p.m. The program will include the music of Chopin, Brahms and Florence Price. For tickets for this Sunday, November the 7th performance, beginning at 4 p.m., you can visit the Wise Centre box office online at bucknell.edu forward slash box office. Or call the Wise Centre box office at 570-577-1000. Thank you very much to Michelle Kahn. And thanks to you, WVIA's Fiona Powell. And we'd like to offer special thanks to Michelle Kahn and the Curtis Institute of Music for making this recording available to us and to Lisa Layton from the Wise Center as well for coordinating that request.